Food is fuel for your body, your mind, and definitely your sport. But let's face it, nutrition is confusing and the expectations on girls and women to be thin and have a six pack are exhausting. If you've ever been frustrated with your body, confused about nutrition, obsessed with eating healthy or guilty when you don't, underate, overate, or overtrained and overwhelmed with all the pressure, then this podcast is for you. Nutrition can be easy. You can take control of it, but it might start with letting go of control by asking for help and making a change. I'm Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez, sports dietitian and owner of Rise Up Nutrition, where I empower female athletes to overcome nutrition concerns and perform at their highest level, to stop being confused by all the mixed or harmful messages, and finally have confidence in your body as a fierce, fit, and fueled female athlete. Hey fans, so let's be honest with each other. Most of the time when you're listening to a podcast and then there's like these intros or there's these ads, you just like skip ahead, right? You're like, skip, skip, skip. Let's get to the actual conversation. That's what I want to hear. And I I get that because I do it myself. So just being honest. At the same time, I do want you to know that the very few companies, brands, and products that I am advertising on this podcast and it is a few, are because they're ones that I utilize myself, that I believe in, that I think contribute to the greater good of female athletes and female athlete fueling. But I do kind of want to, I just want to do it differently. So what I'm going to try and do in these next few episodes, hopefully you'll pick up on it, is just present to you a company or brand that like makes sense based on the topic that we're talking about. And that way there, I'm not just like, reading an ad script, which by the way, in all of our past episodes, all of the ad scripts are still my, it's me, my voice. I wrote it and I spoke it, of course, but I wrote it because I, I didn't just like read something that somebody sent me. I came up with that message that I wanted to share with you all about the product. But regardless, I just want it to be a little more authentic and like relevant to the episode, right? So I wanna share with you about how when I started my own business, I started using Practice Better. So Practice Better is my client portal and platform, and it can be for dietitians, it can be for other health coaches, nutritionists, just professionals who want to run a program. It can be a virtual program, which is what I do, or it can be in person as well. It is, it's literally everything from your electronic medical charting, your calendar, you're sending forms to clients, like an intake form, or sending notes if you wanna send them notes and documents and meal plans. If you need to do invoicing and billing, Practice Better does everything. And that's literally the name of the company, Practice Better. It's a way for you to manage your practice better. Obviously, we all know, like gone are the days of, you know, doing like, paper and pen charting and keeping a locked file cabinet in your office. So much is done virtually, but one of the problems as you get into business, including if you are a dietitian or nutritionist getting into your own private practice, is that it's actually quite confusing with all the different types of platforms you might need. You might need a platform for a calendar, a platform for invoicing, a platform for HIPAA secure client sessions. That's just it. Practice Better does it all. It literally does it all. I can run my entire business on Practice Better. And I have been since Rise Up Nutrition's inception in 2018. I started as a sole proprietor and built myself up to an LLC S Corp. And I've done it all with the help of Practice Better. So I can't, I really can't speak highly enough about this platform. And if you are a health professional of any sort looking for a way to to manage your business better, Practice Better is a great place to start. The sooner you start using it, the better so that you can get used to it. Like I said, when I started my business five, five, six years ago, I actually had zero clients, but I started using Practice Better so that everything was set up so that when that client walked in my door or sent me that email ready to start, it was a seamless transition for how I was gonna operate. So in the show notes, you're going to follow the link. It's kind of a weird link, but it's a specialty link to get my discount. So look to the show notes, follow the link, and then you're gonna use the code RISEUP20. You're going to get 20% off of your first 
four months of using Practice Better. It is a monthly subscription rate. You're gonna get 20% off for four months. And on top of that, they always give you a 14-day free trial anyway, so you're getting two free weeks along with that to kind of test it out. So please follow the link in the show notes. Practice better, use the code RISEUP20, and I can personally vouch for it being a great place for people to start with your nutrition, health, or coaching business. Hello fans, your host, Lindsay Cortez, registered dietitian, sports dietitian, owner of Rise of Nutrition, and as I just said, the host of this podcast. Anyways, today I am here with a guest, and I think this is a unique one because usually when it comes to our guests, it is us reaching out to people who we want to showcase, other athletes, scientists, dietitians, researchers, and we reach out to people. Every once in a while, people pitch themselves to us. A lot of them, we don't think are a great fit. And every once in a while, we're like, wow, yeah, let's interview this person. Great. And then, as you know, we have many athletes who are our own clients who are willing to share their story of transformation, of how they fueled better, of how they've recovered, and just their experiences working with us. So Today is unique because this is a current student athlete who is a listener and a fan of the podcast who reached out to me via Instagram, sent a DM and just said, hey, Lindsay, love the podcast. It helped me a lot in my own journey and I would love to share my story with others. And she wrote a an article or a, a letter that she shared on Instagram last year during National Eating Disorder Awareness Week of 2023. And she shared that with me. And you're going to hear it on this episode of her experience as a female athlete and what turned into an eating disorder and then how she was able to recover. And so I just want to be upfront. This is not a client of ours. But I think I was really touched and moved by two things. First, the fact that even somebody who was not a client, how listening to this podcast was part of her journey towards better health and happiness. And that means so much, especially for me during a time in my life where work is actually personally very, very difficult right now because of the personal circumstances of what's going on with my youngest son, I've had to step away from work quite a bit. And when I hear, when I get messages from people like Megan, it's that motivation for me to keep things going because I know how impactful and helpful it can be to others. And so that was the first reason why I was really touched and moved by Megan reaching out because it just goes to show how needed this type of content is and how it can help people. And so so that felt good. But the second reason is I just thought, wow, how brave of Megan to put herself out there. She pitched herself and for no personal gain either. I mean, we could argue that sharing your story can help you in your own recovery. So maybe there's a little bit of personal gain, but truly she is doing this out of the goodness of her heart that she wants to share her story to help others, to raise awareness, to be a part of the greater mission of helping other girls, women, and human beings to take care of their bodies and to not experience what she went through, or if they are experiencing it, know that they're not alone and that they can get better. And why would I ever stop somebody from that? Why would I ever? So I said, yes. I said, yes, Megan. Yeah, let's set up an interview. Let's hit record and I will elevate your voice and share your story with others. And as you listen, you will hear that Megan is just, you know, she is an inspiration. And, you know, there's so many reasons that I think it's important to elevate her voice. And I'm just really excited. So let me quickly read you her bio, and then she's going to take it away. So Megan O'Connor is a member of the Division One Ohio State Women's Rowing Team. 
Her and her team just came off of a second place runner-up performance at the Big Ten Championship Regatta this past spring of 2023. Megan is a junior studying public policy with the intention to attend law school after she graduates. Eating disorder awareness is a topic that is very important to her. This spring, she took to social media to share her eating disorder recovery story, and she hopes to continue to champion advocacy around the subject. I am incredibly proud of the conversation surrounding the mental health of athletes that has developed over this past decade. As I have observed this movement, I have felt that the conversation of eating disorders has been overlooked. In my personal experience, there is so much shame and stigma surrounding these disorders that it's almost palpable. Is that why so few athletes talk about their experience? Is it because of the shame and the secrecy? The clandestine meetings with your bathroom toilet after a meal or the constant lifting of your shirt when you see a mirror? You are searching for a specific look, but you can never achieve it because perfect is never good enough. I never imagined sharing my eating disorder story publicly. It was one of my biggest secrets for the longest time. I don't have a large platform, but inspired by a fellow Buckeye athlete, Harry Miller, I wanted to take the time to share my story. I wanted to join the movement to educate, advocate, and destigmatize mental health. This week is Eating Disorder Awareness Week, sponsored by NIDA, the National Eating Disorder Association. And the campaign this year is to celebrate, quote, strength through experience and knowledge. I want to take the time to do just that. My story starts with the constant aspiration to achieve thinness from a young age. I wanted to achieve this fantasy as I believed it was the only way to appear attractive and associated my likability with my bodily appearance. Plays plagued with every magazine at the checkout uh, line being graced with a model fitting the, quote, heroin chic frame of the early 2000s was nothing but impressionable for a young girl. The prevalence of my disordered thoughts and tendencies began in the sixth and seventh grades. Once my basketball career ended and I decided to start the sport of rowing, I immediately fell in love with the sport and my teammates. There was nothing like it. As I finished my novice or first year of rowing, as we call it, I was selected as one of the athletes to race for a spot in a varsity boat for that summer's UF's Youth National Regatta. I assumed that the only potential I had, as most novices had in the past, was to make it into the lightweight eight. Not knowing my coach's intention was for me to race into the heavy four that doesn't have a, a weight category to it. I immediately tried to stop to start dropping weight from 145 pounds to under, to under 130 pounds, as that is the weight requirement for the lightweight division. After not winning my seat race into the heavy four and weighing around 140 pounds at 5'8", I stayed light and subconsciously did not try to regain my weight. In rowing and other sports, the concept of being lean and having the ability to move your lower weight quickly makes you a more appealing athlete. Not only is this not necessary or enforced in the sport of rowing, but it was something I continued to plague myself with for the rest of my rowing career and is something I'm still working through today. I want to talk more about how lightweight rowing damages youth athletes. I cannot describe the pain I saw some of my teammates go through to make weight. My male teammates, who were 6'2 or 6'3, went on the cliff bar diet, which was one cliff bar for the whole day on top of two a day training cycles to cut under 150 pounds. My female teammates would say they were having some watermelon and then run extra miles in sweatpants and sweatshirts to make, to make weight. It is such a devastating way of life to compete when you are starving yourself. The damage that weight-based and aesthetic sports does to youth is so saddening. The mental and physical toll this, t this type of sport takes on the body is entirely damaging. I am in unbelievable support of U.S. rowing and my junior club's decision to discontinue lightweight rowing at the youth level. Prioritizing the health and well-beings of athletes is more important than any national title. As I stayed lean and somewhat unaware of how little I was consuming or binging late at night, I continued to perform well in my sport and began the recruiting process for college athletics. During this time, I fell into this pattern of a disease that I couldn't quite sort out until many years later. This was bulimia. The endless cycles. I didn't understand what I was doing, but the reasons why were undeniable. It felt like I had lost control. I wanted to maintain this body type, but wanted to win my seat races, but wanted to go D1 but wanted to be as thin as my friends at the lunch table. I wanted an athletic body, but didn't at the same time. All these thoughts were so overwhelming. 
those were my thoughts on the daily. Thoughts that until my senior year of high school, I finally addressed and asked for help. Once my thoughts turned me into someone I couldn't recognize anymore. When I couldn't be a good teammate and turned what I was feeling inside outward on those around me. Not to mention the physical ailments that attacked my body from how I had been attacking it. Thankfully, my coach and parents supported me as I started my recovery journey. Getting the care I needed allowed me to attend school and continue practicing while simultaneously getting into a healthy place. That summer, I graduated from high school, was committed to Ohio State, and was able to finish my junior career as a member of the first varsity eight at Nationals. My challenges at 16 and 17 were nothing compared to my first year of college. There's nothing like entering a Division I program as a freshman. You don't want to get in the way. You want to make an impression and excel. But new routines and intense pressure can be hard to navigate independently for someone with an eating disorder. The comparisons and overthinking begin in the erg room and travel when you're staying up late in your dorm room replaying the mistakes you made at practice. That stress, when not handled and cultivated correctly, can lead to deep unhappiness. For me, it's still blurry if the restricting and the bulimia caused the unhappiness or if the unhappiness was caused by the restricting and the bulimia. But both came to the surface and attacked me until I eventually broke down. October of my freshman year, my performance was awful. I could barely get over 100 watts on the bike or on the erg, and mentally and physically I was deteriorating. But I didn't want my family to know. Um, It was, I just wanted them to be proud of me. And I couldn't really put this on my friends or my teammates at college. So it was once again my secret, and I intended to handle it alone. I continued to ignore how I could barely walk to class or how what I was eating consisted of maybe a bowl of Cheerios. Meals were impossible to consume. My nails were breaking. And when I would lie down at night, I could hear my heart beating in my chest. Or <laughs> and my heart would beat so fast when I would lie down, I could hear it in my ears. I hit rock bottom hard. I felt like I had failed everyone, but I knew I couldn't compete like this. More importantly, I could not keep living like this. The essential factor in all of this was that I wanted to get better. I was motivated by the fear of everything being taken away from me. And most importantly, after eight years of feeling this way, I wanted it to stop. Saying, I need help and I don't know what to do anymore was the first step. Immediately with the help of Ohio State Athletics, I got the help I needed. Entering recovery for a second time was not easy, but my family and my coaches were right by my side. As my care was at a critical point, it was recommended by a treatment center that I attend an inpatient hospitalization for a month of care, requiring me to drop out of school. I was terrified, but the care I needed was long overdue. I was able to advocate for myself in front of my doctors with the incredible help of the OSU Sports Psychology Department to design my own treatment plan that allowed me to stay in school. My care team was amazing. It consisted of my trainer, team doctor, coaches, private therapist and nutritionist, sports psychologist, and most importantly, my family and friends. The endless support from those around me is what kept me going. Whether it was check-in text from my coach, my brother driving me to appointments, teammates bringing me food, my mom calling me every day, my roommates eating meals with me, all of that, I was able to come out the other side a whole new person. My second round of recovery took me nine months. I am constantly working through my eating disorder almost every day. It's something that's always there. The only difference is that I now have the skills and resources to deal with it. But it took so much away from me. It took away my entire freshman year of competition. Sitting at home watching my team win a Big Ten championship filled me with so much pride and excitement. But at the same time, it was bittersweet because I knew I would never get to share those memories with my teammates. My eating disorder has caused me so much pain, both physically and mentally. But because of this process, I am who I am today. I was able to learn how to advocate for my care. I no longer wanted to be trapped by something that had been anchoring me down for eight years of my life. And with the help of so many, I was able to break free. I recognized my privilege as a Division I athlete. Having the support of an entire coaching staff, a medical department, and a sports psychology team at my fingertips is not the reality for most people. Therapy can be hundreds of dollars an hour, and those needing inpatient or outpatient care face thousands of dollars that insurance may not cover. As many of our elected officials, including the governor of Ohio and the president of the United States, have addressed the youth mental health crisis 
in their legislative agendas, I challenge them to include eating disorder treatment and research in their plans. Eating disorders have the second highest mortality rate of all mental health disorders, according to the National Eating Disorder Association. But conversations surrounding the topic are still in their infancy. This deserves national attention and legislative action. There's so much complexity to eating disorders, but the human race shares so much commonality in how we perceive our bodies. The insecurities and circulating thoughts manifest in different ways in different people. And these are hard habits to break and tough cycles to cut loose. But as I shared my story today, I ask that everyone finds a way to continue to educate themselves on mental health. This week, during Eating Disorder Awareness Week, I ask that people take the time to read stories like mine to better understand a disorder that impacts so many. And with the help, with the combination of eating disorder education and research, I hope that I can spread a message that aids in this advocacy. Wow, Megan, thank you so much for so many things. First, writing that, making that post, and then offering to come on the podcast and share it with even more people. As you read that letter, you know, it's very clear that one of your goals, and as you kind of ended that there, is you you want to share your story so that other people can find the strength to overcome this. Or maybe there can be, you know, changes in the future. In the very beginning of your letter, you mentioned that, you know, you don't have a large platform, but you were willing to start somewhere with posting on your own social media account. And now here you are sharing it on a slightly bigger platform. I'm not the biggest, but (laughs) (laughs) right. Another step up. And I think just from that standpoint of the power of speaking out and, you know, you're getting a degree in, in public policy. It's like you can, you, you might be shocked at how one small step can grow and transform. So first and foremost, I just wanted to say thank you for being willing to share your story. Thank you for your kind words. It was a a scary thing to do. I made sure that I talked to my family and to my friends before I did that. But I, I mentioned a little bit at the beginning of the essay, I was really inspired by a former student athlete here at the university, Harry Miller, who took to his social media which had a a bit more of a following than mine to share his experience with mental health. And this is something I'm really passionate about, particularly in the world of eating disorders and advocating for, you know, female athletes. And so, yeah, it was something that I, that I, that I felt kind of called to do. Yeah. You know, I think too, why I really wanted to have you on the podcast when you reached out to me was, you know, as far as podcast guests go, we have, a lot of professionals, whether it be professional athletes, scientists, psychologists, other dietitians, you know, you have my own words as somebody kind of working in the field. And then we have client testimonials, which is great. But I thought, you know, how interesting to have somebody who's kind of like not necessarily like has, you know, ties to Rise Up Nutrition, but just wanting to have this conversation, share their experiences, provide hope provide a way of a, a light sort of at the end of the tunnel and and somebody who's really going through it now, you know, in real time. Yeah. This is not necessarily yeah. like, you know, your journey you mentioned like you're in a way better place now than you were two years ago or four years ago. Yeah, absolutely. But you're still like, you're still competing college athlete. You're still yeah. in it. You're still in the sport of rowing. This is not like <laughs> yeah. the aftermath story here. And I think that's really important because we talk a lot about with athletes who are like, oh, yeah, you know, when I used to struggle or, you know, or like, you know, they talk about how things are on on the other side of things. And and you very much are still walking the walk. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's two parts to it. You know, there's this this, you know, thing that I have that, you know, is something that I am working through. And something that I am, you know, continuing to try and figure out and work through mm-hmm. on the daily. But because I am a college athlete, because I am at, you know, an amazing institution like Ohio State, I have all these resources available. Mm-hmm. And it's really important as a student athlete to be aware of your resources and to access them. First and foremost, I have, I'm lucky to have an amazing coaching staff. I have a great relationship with my head coach who's been really, really supportive of me through this journey. 
uh, she was the one who recruited me to the team. So she was the first person that I met, you know, with Ohio State Athletics. But we also have a phenomenal sports psychology department. We have team doctors. The very first person I went to when I finally admitted that I needed help was my athletic trainer. Yeah. And so having people that I felt even uh, this was October of my freshman year. So I hadn't even been there for that long. Yeah. Having this culture of people that I trusted and that were reliable and I felt safe, that was so, you know, unique and important. And, you know, I could, I could speak for a long time just how grateful I am for Ohio State Athletics because, yeah. you know, with their help, I'm able to continue, you know, being a student athlete. I was able to mm-hmm. come back my sophomore year and be a part of a, you know, Big Ten, you know, team that finished runner up, mm-hmm. you know, instead of having to, you know, end my career and right. take a step back, you know, they let me do what I needed to do and come back and be a part of the team. Two really big messages there that I want to highlight is to utilize the resources available to you. There are resources available. I actually just had a client call a week or two ago with a freshman in college, and she's really struggling with all the changes and pressures of freshman year. And actually, my my radar was going off that it wasn't directly food-related, and we were dealing with some anxiety and depression. And during my client session, I hopped on her school website, and I was like, there's a mental – like, you can call this number and book a session with a therapist tomorrow. Your university yeah, has a resource. And like – and that's what I did on that session. <laughs> you know, so like utilize your resources and it's hard. It, when you're the one struggling, sometimes you need that other person to direct you to that resource or tell you the help. So sometimes it's just tell somebody, like you just told your athletic trainer. And then from yeah. there, you know, then kind of the resources might show themselves or somebody might help you. I, you know, and I always think back to one of the heart, one of the hardest moments in my life had nothing to do with an, with eating or nutrition at all. But one of the hardest moments in my life when I fi- it was a secret I was keeping. When I finally told somebody, which was my parents, they made the necessary phone calls to get me yeah. the help. Right. So it's like mm-hmm. start with telling one person that you might trust or yeah. are comfortable telling, and then even just those simple words of, I need you to help me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in this place. I don't, I can't get that. I don't know what to do next. And almost like hand that job off to somebody else and utilize, exactly. and then they'll find you those resources. So I think that's a big, me- like you, ha- you have resources. And then maybe the next message here is for maybe any like coach or professional or team or university that maybe doesn't have it all together like Ohio State does. <laughs> yeah. You know, because you're, you're right. You, you wrote in your, in your essay, you know, you, you did have a great support system and it's a big school and they have funding. Not every school is like that, but maybe even if a coach is listening to this episode right now, like there's probably athletes at your school that are struggling with the same thing Megan went through, but they just don't have those amazing resources. So as a coach, you know, maybe you can bring in a guest speaker from time to time Mm -hmm. or know who to outsource to or start talking to the school departments and get funding for some of these positions. It's a process. And I know that as being a sports dietitian at three different universities, and they all looked very different. And one of them, I was just a part-time contractor, like 10 hours Mm -hmm. a week, but that's better than nothing. And that sports med department was trying to make sure that they had their resources available when these things arose. So I think those are like two, two just kind of like overarching messages I wanted to hit on more is utilize your resources and then for a coach or like somebody in, in charge of a department, like build up those resources if you don't have them because they are needed. This, this, the mental health and eating disorder concern is happening in college athletes, whether you yeah, know absolutely. it or not, whether you think yeah. it's a problem at your school or not, like it, it's there somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted you to read your letter too, because, and even as you were reading it, like it almost brought me to tears right away <laughs> in the beginning because it just, you know, you're line about, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror or like having that meeting in your bathroom Mm -hmm. with yourself. It really, one, I I think it brought me to tears because I was putting myself in your shoes of what you were going through. And then it also, you know, brought me back to the days that I struggled too. And I'm I'm so far removed from that now. And yet it's like when you, when you say that it, it really brings that image to life. And that's a scary time. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 
And I sit here, you know, on this podcast and we talk about, we talk like about disordered eating. Oh, it's not good. And, you know, you don't want to be in that. But I think sometimes it's still maybe a little scary to talk about the realities of what that can look like. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's still the stigmas or like shame associated with it that we're scared to talk about. Side note, Megan, I am going to put a little disclaimer at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah. And my reasoning for that is because there's there's also sometimes it's like you don't want to put an idea into somebody's head that isn't there. Yeah. <laughs> right? So you, you, it's like we have to be somewhat careful. We don't want to put an idea into somebody's head. If they never thought about looking at their belly in the mirror, then I don't want them to now hear that and then start doing that. Absolutely. There's so many things that I've learned going through eating disorder recovery. And part of that is like, like try not to share images of yourself, you know, when you're go, you know, pre recovery and things like that. It's amazing to see the journey. But it can be that can be really hard for people who are going through it who are recovering to see images like that. Yeah. And that's something that I learned through, you know, following accounts and educating myself and like doing a better job of like, being a proper advocate. Yeah. But, you know, going back to what you said, like, thank you <laughs> for, yeah. for, you know, sharing that with me. And, and again, for your kind words, I, um, that was, um, that was a part of the essay that I wrote that I almost cut out because I wasn't sure if I wanted to be that vulnerable. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did because I think it, it, it kind of framed what things look like for me the realities yeah. of, you know, what myself and other people experienced. I think sharing your lived experience through adversity is really impactful. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that I was trying to do in the words in my illustrations within the essay was, this is what I was going through. This is the, you know, the, the seriousness of what was happening here's what I did. Here's how I, you know, was able to get through it. Here's what my yeah. journey looked like. And like, here's where I am today. And, and that's exactly why, like, again, maybe that's why the disclaimer is, you know, we're going to have it because it's like, we, yeah, we don't, for somebody with, um, who's not going through struggles or has that, you know, naive or innocent mind, like, we don't want to put a bad idea in their head. If there's any twinge that it might be taken the wrong way. Absolutely. I don't even know if twinge I, is a word, but yeah, I just no, said it. <laughs> I completely agree okay. with you. But then for somebody who's going through that, this can vary. You you do feel alone. You do feel like, am I the only one do, going through this? And to, to hear of somebody else and to, frankly, I, to show how bad it is and how serious it is helps you take that next step of I need to get help. And so I want to take a moment here to kind of talk about the seriousness. You mentioned in your essay, you know, that there were physical physical destruction that started happening with with bulimia mm-hmm. and bulimia i feel like is not talking we talk about eating disorders and sometimes people talk about the there's restriction a stigma around there's a stigma around bulimia. bulimia and yeah so i i can touch on that and i can i can touch on a little bit if with if yeah if we could touch on like the physical like what what happened because i think we need to yeah tell people why this is so serious and why you don't want to go down this path or why, if you are on this path, why we need to turn it around quickly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think someone who was prominent that spoke about bulimia, one of the first people to do that wasn't an athlete, but it was a substantial figure. And that, and to me, that's Princess Diana, who mm. spoke about bulimia in a very public and honest way. But even from her impact and, you know, people over the years, it, there, there is such a stigma around bulimia. I think it's because it's not pretty. Not any eating disorder is pretty. It's like making, I know this is, the, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm getting really upset right now because no, it's like, okay. <laughs> even within the realm of eating disorders, there's this weird hierarchy of like, yep. what is the better eating disorder? <laughs> yep. so messed up. <laughs> and And that's why I think Initially, when I went through my first round of recovery, my 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 senior year of high school, I had such a hard time finally talking about it with someone because I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed about what I was doing. I was confused, and I and I didn't like it. <laughs> like I didn't. Yeah. 
but yeah. it was what it was the the common factor in you know in it was this sense of control that I had. If I didn't like something, there was this instant gratification, satis- satisfaction from doing something that could, in my mind, correct what I what I did. If I binged or if I ate something that I classified as bad, mm-hmm. I could correct that instantly. And so my freshman year was when this was really significant. I did, I did struggle my senior year, but my freshman year, you touched on, you know, changes in college and stuff like that. And to me, it was like, I'm a freshman. I am on this big team. Yeah. I, there are Olympians in my recruiting class. Like, yeah, I was like, I kept reinforcing to myself that I wasn't that significant. And with all the changes of college and, you know, figuring out meals on your own and things like that. There was so much that I didn't really have figured out. And so the control, the control in it for me was, you know, my bulimic tendencies, the intersection of my bulimic tendencies, my freshman year and the restriction was what was so dangerous for what I went through my freshman year because I was quite sick. And so at the time in October of my freshman year, where things kind of caught up to me, I had been, I had been restricting and, you know, my bulimia was really significant for a couple of, you know, a couple of months at that point, I'd been there since August, you know, and it kind of immediately started. And so I was injured October of my freshman year. And so I was on our, we, we bike meters when you're not on the water or on the erg. And so I was biking and it would take me like two and a half hours to finish practice because my Watts on the bike were so horrible because not only was I not eating, but if I, if I did eat, I would purge because I, I, what, what kept on happening was I hated the feeling of being full. Mm -hmm. I kept telling myself I wasn't significant. I was injured at the time. So I felt like I wasn't good. I felt like I was, you know, I wasn't going to amount to anything. And so all of this made me rely on severe food restriction and bulimia. And that made me really, really sick. So uh, you asked about like physical ailments. So I was losing hair. I was losing weight, but also with bulimia, like you're binging and you're purging. So there's like weird cycles, Mm -hmm. but I was restricting. So I was losing weight, but not in a significant way in the Mm -hmm. stereotypical eating disorder way. Uh, My performance in rowing was awful. I had a very, very hard time walking to class. I, there was a time where I passed out in my dorm room and I hit my head. There were some like very significant things happening. And it it really took me until one day at morning practice before practice started. I, I went to purge. I hadn't eaten anything that night or that morning. And so nothing happened. And I just sat there and and cried in this, in our boat room or our boathouse bathroom. And I was just crying because I I was just so frustrated with what I was doing with my performance. I was so sick and I waited until after practice and talked to one of the juniors on our team or seniors on our team and who I felt comfortable with and told her briefly what was happening. And she said, are you, are you ready? You know, do you feel comfortable doing something about this? And I was like, I don't know if I can keep going like this. Like I wasn't sure if I could keep, you know, living at this point. Scary thought. Yeah. 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 And so she was the one who took me to our, she drove me to our, you know, athletic complexes and I saw our athletic trainer. And from there that day, that journey started. 
And so, you know, it was an intense period of my life. Yeah. No one knew what was going on in my life. My roommate. Until you told somebody. Yeah. My right? roommate who is, was, and is to this day my best friend. She, when I told her kind of what was going on, she was like, I had no idea because when you're 18 years old, you kind of know that other 18 year olds probably aren't going to know what to do with that. Yeah. And so I kind of out of respect for her and for my other close friends, I was like, like, I don't want to put this on them. I didn't want to put it on my family either because I didn't want them to worry. And so I was kind of in this isolated spot where I wasn't sure where to go, what to do, who to tell until I made that decision on the bathroom floor of my boathouse to reach out and do something about it because I, it was, it was that moment where I didn't know if I could keep going. Yeah. And, and again, I think too, that hitting rock bottom is not something I wish upon anybody. At the same time, it's sometimes those life-changing moments that you can, you have an opportunity to make a decision for yourself. And even if you don't know what that decision is, it's just take a, try something different, tell somebody. Absolutely. And yeah, that comment about not wanting to burden other people, I totally understand where that's coming from, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've felt that myself in my life and I've heard that from other people too, but you know, like, I don't know, like we don't like it's, first of all, it's not a burden to your family or friends when they love and care about you. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's not, that's, well, here's the thing that like your, your parents, like (laughs) they're your parents, they're gonna help you. They want you to be happy and healthy and thrive and they will do whatever it takes. And I know that now as a parent myself, Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. The consensus from Everyone, when I told the people in my life, you know, my, my best friends, my teachers, my, or my coaches, my trainer, my parents, everyone was, you know, why didn't you not, not putting shame on me for coming forward, but they were like, we, we would have wanted you to tell us, you know? Yeah. So overwhelming support, yes. overwhelming support of we're here to help you. Overwhelming support. Yeah. So yeah, that's the funny thing. It's like where, where we don't want to burden other people, but other people want to be burdened if yes. it's what is best for you, yes. I, you know? Yeah. If I had a friend going through what I had gone through, I would have wanted them to tell me. And that's why I think on my team now, I, I really try and, you know, if I talk to the freshmen, just, you know, how are you? You know, how are you doing? At the beginning of the year, I made sure to share our mental health resources with our team. Like, and I'm, because I really want people to feel comfortable at at those initial stages of whatever they're going through to be able to tackle it rather than waiting until, you know, rock bottom. That rock bottom moment. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If we can prevent those rock bottom moments, great. Or when they do happen, like just having kind of those resources that we can quickly take those next steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, there's, there's over when you do start admitting I need help or somebody help me, like there, t- there is overwhelming support from family, from friends, from professionals. I think as a little side note for anybody listening to this, if there's not, if you reach out and you ask someone for help and they don't know how to help you or they're not supportive, it's just the wrong person. Try again. It's just the wrong person. Somebody out there cares. Somebody is willing to help. Somebody does think that you are worthy. And, you know, so either you just, you know, it was the wrong person or sometimes the other, the other reason I'm saying this is because we never know what's going on in somebody else's life too. Like maybe there's a reason they can't help you because they have their own struggles, you know, like there's, there's certain situations where, so that's where, again, like you're going to, once you speak out, you're either going to get overwhelming support or try somebody else. Don't give up. Somebody out there cares, you know, send a message to Megan on social media, send me (laughs) an email. Somebody cares. Yes. And somebody's there for you and somebody can help you take that next step. 
But yeah, everyone, and I just say that because I have had experience of both in my personal life or with clients of like, well, I tried to get help and then, you know, X, Y, Z. And it's like, yeah, okay, like I, I understand where that's coming from. And as somebody who like, even me personally, I recently went through some difficulties with my son or I'm still going through that. Mm-hmm. And so I can understand sometimes I'm like, ah, I don't have time for X person's problem <laughs> right now. I have my own problem, you know? Um, yeah. So that happens from time to time, but. Yeah, I've found asking someone, you know, hey, do you have this, you know, the space, the capacity to talk about something tough right now? And asking someone that kind of gives them the chance to say, hey, I'm really having a tough day. You know, can can you shoot me a text later or something like that? Or do you just like move on, you know, and and find, you know, someone else trusted that can help you? I love that. It's almost asking asking permission a little bit of like a little bit <laughs> of like just saying like hey and well and you know what that is advice that I do give my clients when they are going to open up or talk to somebody else about something deep. I do suggest to them that they like ask for a time like hey I really would love to talk to you about something. Can we go out for coffee this weekend or like tomorrow at dinner can can it just be me and you to like talk about something just to like kind of set the stage as opposed to like yeah you don't want to catch somebody in a bad moment yeah you know they're rushing <laughs> off to take a final exam and you're like hey I'm I have bulimia like they're hey, gonna be like one, what yeah, just one second yeah like you know these are not things that can always happen in a flyby conversation and so yeah I love that I I love that kind of recommendation of like I you know I really want to talk to you about something. Do you have the space for it right now? Or could we set up a time for just me and you? Absolutely. Yeah. That's great advice for other people. Another thing I want to chat with you about, Megan, is just the idea that, you know, you kind of had to go through recovery two times. Yeah. And this is very normal. (laughs) Just for people to know, this is very, very normal. And this is why I think people talk about eating eating disorder recovery as a journey. Because it's not, it's not always this one and done thing. With that being said, I don't want people to get discouraged. <laughs> oh, this is going to take forever. Or like, I want you to have, like, if you're in your, if you're getting help for the first time, I don't want you to therefore not put in a hundred percent thinking it's going to take me long. No, put in a hundred percent your first time. But I also just want to let you know, it is a journey that just, I mean, eating is something you do every single day, your whole life, living inside your own mind and talking to yourself it's something you do every single day for your whole life. So it's a, it's a journey as far as how you will continue to learn yourself and evolve and learn how to take care of yourself and, you know, manage those thoughts and intrusive thoughts. So it's actually very normal for people to go through recovery kind of like a second time around. And I, I really see it. Some people might think in the moment as you're going through it, oh my gosh, am I going backwards or did I fail? You know, those very negative self-talk can come in, but I see it more as a progression. We're going to take the, you know, we went through recovery once and now we're going to progress in our recovery and maybe tackle the deeper stuff, the lingering stuff, the stuff we didn't fully get to the first time around. Exactly. What was that like for you, you know, kind of it having, like, what were your experiences of kind of addressing it now the second time around? Did you have those thoughts that I mentioned? Yeah, 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 definitely. It was a lot of like, wow, I let this happen again. And that's not what it is. You know, it's just, I needed, I needed, I needed help again. I needed to, you know, kind of like you said, like, I don't think I really dealt with, you know, a lot of the stuff the first time around. And obviously the type of, you know, the type of treatment I went through the second time was much more intensive then the first time around, the first time around, I, I started seeing a nutritionist and a therapist took a little bit of, I think I took a couple of days off of practice mm-hmm. and kind of, but I never really, there were, oh, there were times throughout the summer and things like that, where I would go through these, you know, peaks and valleys with bulimia. And so that's why I think of that first time around where I started addressing my needs as recovery. But, you know, the recovery journey that, you know, I'm, I'm still on now. I don't know. I don't know if it really ever ends, you know, because it's, you know, something you, you kind of, you kind of keep up with. But um, this, the second time around in college was, you know, much more intensive. And I, and I can speak to that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So my freshman year after I had discussed what was happening with my athletic trainer, Immediately that day, I was in sports psychology. 
And then I also had a meeting with my coaches where I, you know, let them know what was going on. (laughs) And from that sports psychology appointment, we kind of just went over what was going on. You know, what's what's going on here? And 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 at that point, it was let's take the rest of the week off of practice. Mm -hmm. And very quickly, it was identified that I needed a more significant level of care. So I was working with a really excellent post-doctorate fellow, which was awesome because I was kind of like, you know, his passion project because it was me and him yeah. working through this together. Yeah. And I really, really trusted him and he's great. And from there, he says, you know, like the, we need to get you evaluated by a treatment center. And so I had an evaluation with the Emily Center here in Columbus and went through a evaluation with a therapist. And she said that they would meet with their panel to discuss what my level, like what, what the, what the care needs to be from there. Mm -hmm. And they said that it would be, you know, probably a 24 hour wait. And I got a call within an hour that it was a unanimous, yeah, a unanimous decision that I needed inpatient hospitalization. Oh, wow. I'm that, saying yeah, great yeah, just no, because great they were so fast. Not great, great of the, of the great severity turnaround. of the situation. Great turnaround. Yeah. Yes. Great turnaround. I think the turnaround was so quick because they were like, this is not good. Yeah. From that, so that that kind of changed my perspective of, you know, of, of recovery for me, you know, of what this would possibly look like, because it, it was simply just a phone call saying, we have a room open for you in one of our treatment centers in Minnesota, it would be a month long, you know, please let us know within 24 hours if you're going to accept this. Wow. And I like hung up the phone and b- b- had a meltdown. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I would have had too. a I was 18. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to have to drop out of school. I I'm I don't know if I'm ever and and what the initial plan was with our with my team with my sports psychology team was your level of care has surpassed what we have yeah. the capability for capability yeah. to help with whatever the Emily Center says is what is going to be your course of treatment kind of like that is your only option. So in that moment, I was like, okay, well, my life is over. I can see how it felt that way. Yeah. Because this would completely change the trajectory of my life. Yeah. And this is not to say that inpatient hospitalization is not a good thing because it is necessary for people yeah. to get the treatment that they needed. After a a long talk with my friends, a long call with my mom... <laughs> who's a, a mental health professional herself. She's a psychologist. Oh, so great. she was kind of on board. She was like, whatever they yeah. say, we're going to do. I want you to get better. You know, I made this case. It was like, it was like seven o'clock at night. And I was talking to my psychologist and I, and, and my sports psychologist. And I called him and made this case for myself. Yeah. And I was like, I know that in order for me to get better, I need to be surrounded by healthy people. And I need to be surrounded by my support, my support group. I need to be with my friends and my family. I need to be on a schedule. I need to be with my teammates. Mm-hmm. And, and he kind of said, he said, you know, let's take the night. I hear what you're saying. Let me talk to everyone else tomorrow and we'll go from there. And yeah. from there, I was able to advocate for myself and create essentially my own version of outpatient. Yeah, care with yeah. OSU Athletics, with Wexner Medical Center, and with, you know, the people in my life. So my second round of recovery was, I, I, re- I really learned so much about myself. I was really proud of my ability to advocate for myself. I took moments where I was really, really scared. I was scared of losing like my autonomy. (laughs) I was scared of what I was going through. You know, I was scared of never rowing again. There were so many things I was scared of, but I was surrounded again by so much support, so much love. I talk about in my essay, I had my roommates would come and eat meals with me as I was so that 
you know, I didn't have to go to outpatient centers and do, you know, group meals and things like that. And so like I was able to create this care program in this round of recovery yeah, that ended up being really, really effective. And it kept me on a schedule. It kept me in college. It left me the ability to, you know, continue my studies and things like that. But, you know, it did require, you know, I had an appointment every single day of the week, either with Mm -hmm. a psychologist, with a nutritionist or with a therapist Mm -hmm. or with my, or, you know, I'd have to go do a blind weigh in and things like that, or I have to go get labs or something like that. So, you know, it it was really unique and individualized. And I'm just so grateful that the, you know, the medical professionals in, in my world, let me do that. And I, I love this because the the fact that you advocated for yourself in kind of creating, in a sense, your own treatment plan, um, while still listening to the professionals that you weren't the one necessarily running the show, you were just saying, no, <laughs> you know, this is what's gonna, this is what's gonna be most motivating for me. Yeah, and I think that is one of the ways that treatment recovery any changes, you know, are most effective is when it's self driven. Mm-hmm. But with being like, like that's, you know, this is what you wanted for yourself in a sense. There was an element of, yes, it was coming for myself. I wanted to be healthy, but there also was, I had to sign a contract yeah. essentially. And I, with, you know, you will not be able to return to the team if you do not follow these protocols. If I missed a meeting, if I wasn't in person for a meeting, if I missed a way in things like that without, you know, a valid reason, obviously, you know, if you were not complying with what was in the contract, you know, there, you would have to inevitably, you know, do inpatient. Yeah. You know, if I wasn't. And that's definitely, I think as far as like sport participation goes, like that was absolutely necessary. Yeah. 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 And, um, but what I was going to say too, is, and it kind of goes in a light aside alongside that is if you're going to make a case for yourself of like, Hey, this is how I think that what's best for me, it does require full 100% honesty and transparency. Yeah. Here's the thing. And somebody who works in this space, eating disorders are very manipulative and maybe trying to find like the easy way out or like, well, I want to do recovery this way and not have to go to a treatment center, you know? And it's like, like you already alluded to the fact that treatment centers are needed. They can be life-saving. Yeah. And that might be the right answer for somebody. So we don't, you know, for other people, it's not like, oh no, I can figure this out on my own. I'll just do it on my own. My way might not be the answer. That's why you shared. No, there was a contract. Yeah. Like there, I, there was accountability there was in this. There was a contract like, and, tr- yeah. and there was a, you know, multiple conversations with my family. My, my mom was like, I'm, you know, I'm driving up tonight and we're, you know, you're going to the hospital. There were like definite conversations held. Yeah. There was a lot of internal and external motivations. You know, the internal being, I want to get better. I'm scared of what's happening. The external being, this is what happens if you do not comply with what yeah. you, you know, if you're going to advocate for this, then you need to show up and you need to do, show up and do work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and part of it too, one of the first things my sports psych said to me was, you know, you're, you shared that your mom's a psychologist and I can tell, you know, you sound like the daughter of a psychologist. You keep on telling me the answers that, you know, I want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, and you know, it took a while for me to really, where we got to the root causes, where we had those tough conversations, you know, where are these feelings coming from in sport? Where are these feelings coming from just as a human being, you know, these different areas of my eating disorder that I had to deal with, you know, the attractiveness and the appearance. And also this, and I talk about in the essay, this, you know, desire to stay lean and mm-hmm. moving your weight at a, you know, moving your lighter weight in a more efficient way. And so these two avenues that I was dealing with sport, and then, you know, I, the athlete and the human, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And my coach really reinforced to me through this through this whole journey, she goes, she would say to me, I want you to be okay as a human. You know, I want you to be okay as a person outside of the world of athletics, because, you know, life is more important. And so learning in recovery that I need to be happy as a human, as a human who can eat, and then as a human who can exercise in efficient ways, in healthy ways, before I could re-enter 
the rigor of division one athletics. And if, if you don't mind us sort of fast forwarding to where you are now, like ha- mm-hmm. you have reentered into the rigor of division one athletics. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I really started exercising again the summer after my freshman year. And so I was able to re-enter the team my sophomore year. So last fall. Yeah. And that spring I was able to compete on the squad that competed at Big Tens, mm-hmm. which was really exciting. And now I am, you know, <laughs> I was able to train well this summer yeah. and I'm on the team um this fall and things are going really, really well. You know, it's not to say that there aren't still struggles that I have or moments where, you know, I feel really down about something, but you know, there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel two years ago. So I, I actually just recently celebrated two years of, you know, of recovery. Amazing. <laughs> I could see, you know, where I am now two years ago. I, you know, I'm, yeah, I just I just think back to, you know, 18-year-old me and I'm really really proud of the work that I've done and where I am now and how I the skills that I have and the mindset that I have about certain things. And the way I'm able to compete now. Yeah. is really really exciting. And so like I would say like that would be my message to like anyone going through recovery, anyone thinking about like, if I ask for help, like what's going to come next and things like that. And it's like, it, you know, it will, it will be hard. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be so worthwhile to be in a healthy place. Mm-hmm. Life is so much better when you can go after practice with your friends and get ice cream and you just feel okay with that. You know, it, it, life truly is so much better when you let go of some of that control. And that was the hardest thing for me to learn, but definitely the most important. I feel like that was a great little like summary. You know, usually one of my <laughs> final questions is like, what's your final advice? And I think oh, you man. just did it. <laughs> that would be it. You probably. just did. And, you know, I'm just over here nodding and smiling. And Megan, I am proud of you too. I'm very emotional today. Thank You're you. going to make me cry oh. again. <laughs> I'm very proud of you too. And, and I've just, you know, just met you and I'm just, it's refreshing to see somebody so young and so strong. And that's really, really kind. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is something you have done for yourself and your life and your future. And now I know I can guarantee you are now impacting other people positively as well. And that's another reason that I'm proud of you. And you don't need, by the way, you don't need to recover for other people. You only need to do it for yourself. (laughs) You know, look out for number one, right? Like you only need to do it for yourself, but it's like one, one further step, Megan, that like you are, you know, this is something that you do want to help other people with just by sharing your story. And I I can guarantee that you will. So thank you so much. Megan, I'm so grateful to you for reaching out and having this conversation, being vulnerable and really excited for other people to listen. Also for anybody else in the sport of rowing, we had a great conversation episode number 71 with Tori Mather who was also in the sport of lightweight rowing. So there's difficulty there in that in that sport. And as we mentioned too, there's some changes being made of actually, you know, just having it be rowing. No more weight categories yeah. of this. Yeah. And especially the in the level. youth, at the youth yeah. level, we know it's still in, in Olympic sports and collegiate as well, right? Collegiate, yeah. Yeah, but at the youth level, I think positive decisions being made there. But it's something to still be aware. I mean, just because you're in college doesn't mean these problems don't exist anymore. So if you're in the sport of lightweight rowing or or just rowing in general, excuse me, this episode and episode number 71 might be helpful. So uh, Megan, you are not immune to our questions at the end of every podcast episode. You ready? Yes. If there's one food you could eat every single day for the rest of your life and never be sick of it. Oh my gosh. As a Cincinnatian, I would say Grater's ice cream and Skyline Chili. <laughs> Together, separate. <laughs> Probably, I mean, maybe in the same meal. Yeah, yeah, one right sure. after the other. Love oh it. yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite sport to participate in? Rowing, obviously, or basketball. Oh yeah, you played basketball. I did growing up. Growing up, yeah. I did. Yeah. Awesome. 
How about as a spectator? What's your favorite sport to watch? I love gymnastics and I love skiing. Yeah, skiing. Lindsay Vaughn is one of my favorite athletes of all time. Yeah, yeah. I like her as well. She's inspiring in a lot of different levels. Yes. So kind of off of that, now if there's a female athlete you want to give a shout out to for being inspiring or role model, again, well-known or just in your personal life, who would that be? Oh, gosh. So definitely Lindsay Vaughn. I also love swimming. So I would say Natalie Coughlin, throwback to the 2008 Olympics. And then I, I just got a shout out the Ohio State women's rowing team. Those of are a group, of, a group of badass women who work yes. so hard every day. Yeah. Such amazing athletes on that team. And you're one of them. So thank you <laughs> for being an inspiring female athlete as well, Megan. Thank you so much. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you did, if you are a true fan of female athlete nutrition, then I would love if you could support our podcast by spreading the word, share a review on your listening channel, give us five stars. It really helps get the word out and get the show more views to positively impact others. Also, you can support the podcast by joining our Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash female athlete nutrition to consider a donation or even better, join our membership where you get extra monthly content and perks. We don't want you to simply listen alone. We want you to be a part of a community and a movement of fierce, fit, and fueled female athletes. So patreon.com slash female athlete nutrition is where you can do exactly that. Learn more and join. A huge thanks to our affiliates and partners as well. Once again, Prevenix, Inside Tracker, Orgain, Practice Better, Jen and Carrie. Please go check them out and their links in the show notes where you can get deals and discounts. Last, be sure that you do more than just listen. If you need help with fueling, it's time to take action. Head to my website to learn more. You can either book a free call with me to learn more about our coaching programs and how we can work directly with you, whether it's the fast track or otherwise. Or you can take our online self-study course, Female Athlete Nutrition. You can literally sign up and gain access right now. You can explore our downloadable products, including the Red S Recovery Guide, High Iron Fueling Guide, or if you are a coach of a team, check out our brand new coaches toolkit for teams. You can also just learn more. We have a blog, a Red S quiz to see if Red S is affecting you. If you need help, I want you to get help fast. Too many girls and athletes struggle with nutrition, but you don't have to any longer. You can rise up with the power of nutrition, take action today in any of these avenues, and become fierce, fit, and fueled. Links in the show notes, and we'll see you next time.